Welcome. We're so glad you're here. We are in week two of our series called Life as We Know It. And in this series, it's kind of like we're all together as a family sitting on the front porch, or we've all kind of gathered around the fireplace, and we're talking about the power of stories in our lives. And we're doing this by taking a look at a guy. He was actually more than a guy. He was a king from the Bible. His name was David. And we're looking at his story and how his story has the power to help us shape and discover our stories as well. And so since we're sharing stories, the year was 2006, and all was good in the Peters family. We were living in Southern California at the time. The weather is perfect. Uh, we were near the beach. Our family was very healthy. Everything was going well. Ty, um, our son, had just started school. My wife, Laura, and I, we loved our jobs. In fact, I was finishing up an internship at the time at one of the most uh, influential churches, not just in America, but probably in the world. And, uh, and it was an incredible thing. As I was finishing up that internship, I was having um, conversations and job opportunities that were being presented from churches in San Diego and Australia and a church in Raleigh, North Carolina that we began having conversations with. Felt like David, right? It just felt like everything in my life was, was going well. Everything that we, we were experiencing was just incredible blessing from God, this, this incredible success that we were experiencing and then in the fall of 2006, we ran into an obstacle, United States immigration. See, we had been in the States since uh, 2000. We had come from Canada, and, uh, and one day in the fall of 2006, we received a letter in the mail that said we were no longer allowed to live in the United States. In fact, it said that we, there were no details, there was no explanation, there, there, there was no reasoning behind any of it. It just said, you need to leave the country. We were being deported. And so we contacted our immigration attorney, and, uh, and they told us that we basically had six months to uh, figure out our stuff and to leave the country. And so we talked about it and prayed about it, and we decided, you know what, there's no point in us staying any longer than, than we need to. And so um, we decided, let's go back to Canada, and we'll figure out where we're going to go next in terms of of, of jobs and where God was leading us, and, and we'll just discover it from there. And so we broke the lease on our apartment, and we, we quit our jobs. We packed up our stuff, and many of you, um, I've shared parts of this story with you before. We were in a, in a crazy bad car accident. I ended up being in the hospital for almost a, a month, and one of the injuries that I suffered was that I broke my hip, and I needed to learn how to walk all over again. Well, in the spring of 2007, I was on crutches. I was out of the hospital. It had been about five months since the accident. And uh, so with about one month left to go on our stay in the States, we decided, well, let's go down to immigration offices and let's go talk to them and, and ask for an extension. There was one more major surgery that I still had to, to have done in, in a couple of months. And, and so we thought maybe they'll be gracious to us and they'll allow us to stay for a little while longer. And so we went down to the immigration offices and we, we walked in and there was a, a, I'm sure she was a nice lady. She didn't look it because um, she didn't smile or do much of anything. And so we presented our case to her and we said, hey, we've been here. We're, here was our letter and, and it's been five months. We got one month left to go and we just love an extension. We love this country. We'd love to stay here. I've got one more. She didn't even want to hear any of the rest of it. She just looked at us firmly and definitively and said, no. She said, in fact, you have been living in the United States illegally for the past five months. You need to leave the country now, and we're placing a 10-year ban on you from coming back to the U.S. for any reason. Shopping, jobs, it doesn't matter. Vacation, you can't come back to the States for 10 years. I was shocked. 
right? We didn't expect this at all. And so I know I had shock on my face. And, and as I began to look over at my wife, Laura, standing next to me, I noticed that she had her compact out and she was like fixing her hair and checking her makeup. And I'm like, what, Laura, what are you doing? They're about to kick us out of the country. And she said, if this is it and we're going out this way, I want to look good in my mugshot. And I was like, hi, I guess yeah, that makes sense right there. I figured I can't look worse than Gary Busey's mugshot. So we're all good on that side. And so we decided we were going to leave the country. They, they didn't arrest us on the spot. And so as we were walking out past security, we decided to keep our heads down and not make eye contact. And I remember one of the security guards as I was hobbling through on my crutches saying, have a nice day, sir. <laughs> I panicked. I didn't know what else to do. And so I put my hands out like he was going to handcuff me. And I said, it's not my fault. She made me do it. And, and I threw her under the bus. And it had nothing to do with my wife's fault. I just, I don't know what it was. I just panicked in that moment. We got outside, and, and I swear, as soon as we got outside of the doors, um, my wife took off. It was like she was an Olympic sprinter all of a sudden, and I'm standing there on my crutches, and she went tearing off across the parking lot, and, and at least from that moment on, it gets a little fuzzy in my eyes, but I'm pretty sure I saw her do like a Dukes of Hazard slide across the hood of the car and get in, and as the wheels are spinning, she's yelling out the window, get in the car! <laughs> and I was hobbling as quickly as I could, and when I dove in, I was like, what was that? And she's like, we got to get out of here before they arrest us and put us in jail, right? It was crazy. It reminded me of that joke of the two guys that are in the, in the woods and they come across a bear and one bends down, starts tying up his shoes and the other guy's leaning there. He goes, what are you doing, dude? You're not going to be able to outrun the bear. And he finishes tying his shoes. He goes, I don't need to outrun the bear. I just need to outrun you, right? That's what she did. She left me behind. People, you got to pray for me. You have no idea what, what goes on in my life. So much happened from that moment on, and, and there's crazy details that just for time-wise I, I can't get into, but we ended up back in Canada. We hired a new immigration attorney because our other one didn't help us out very much. Uh, and so this attorney got us, to put together this massive, massive portfolio of stuff that we took to the border as a plea to have the 10-year ban um, lifted on us. And then we also, she put together another portfolio, which was an application for a visa to come back into the States to Raleigh, North Carolina, because we had already accepted a job at a church called Hope Community Church. And we were just desperately waiting. We were so excited. We had all the paperwork. We knew God was just going to move in incredible ways and we were going to be able to, to come back to Raleigh. And the guy that was behind the counter at the, at the border started flipping through the, the pamphlets a little bit or through the, the portfolios. He typed some things in on his computer and then he finally made eye contact with us and looked at us and said, here's the truth. It's not very likely that you're going to get this. And I promise you that you're not going to hear anything from us between five weeks and five months. And we walked away just totally dejected. You see, sometimes there's a, a misconception out there that if you start following Jesus, that everything in your life is going to get easier, that everything in your life is going to get better, that, that life with Jesus automatically means perfection. And if you're checking out this whole Jesus thing, let me first of all just say welcome. We're so glad you're here. And maybe you're just new in your journey with Jesus. Over the past couple of months, we've had so many people that have surrendered their life to Christ. And if you've heard it all or believed it all, that, that life with Jesus should get easier, right? It should get better. It, it should be perfect. It's a lie. For many of us who have been on this journey with Jesus for any length of time, we know that. Sometimes we still hope in it, right? But we recognize that this is, there's a truth out there that we all deal with obstacles, in life. And maybe your obstacles aren't immigration related. Maybe your obstacles have to deal with work or school. Maybe your obstacles are more relational based. Maybe it's at home with your spouse or with your kids. Maybe your obstacles come in the relationship with your boyfriend or girlfriend. 
that no matter how hard you try to get ahead, no matter how many steps you make, the, the commitments you make to each other, you run into obstacles that, that just kind of knock you back a step or two. Maybe your obstacle is the fact that you don't have a boyfriend or girlfriend. Maybe your singleness feels like an obstacle to you. It doesn't feel like a blessing in any way like the Bible talks about. It feels more like a curse. Maybe your obstacle is a friendship that just isn't healthy. Maybe you've been the, the, the receiver of some bullying or some undeserved criticism. Maybe your obstacle has come in the way of finances. And no matter how hard you try to get ahead, you just can't ever seem to catch up. Right? You start to save and then you run into a, a car obstacle and, and it knocks you back and you recover from that and you start to build back up again and then you run into a, a home obstacle and it knocks you back. And no matter what you do, you just can't ever seem to get ahead. You're just always chasing, living month to month to month or paycheck to paycheck to paycheck. Maybe your obstacles are major changes in your life. Maybe a disability or an illness in your family. Maybe the loss of a parent or a loved one. Maybe a, a senseless tragedy. Maybe your obstacle is a, a spiritual obstacle. And you pray and you pray and you pray and it just doesn't feel like God ever answers your prayers. See, we all face obstacles. And the truth is that, that all of our obstacles can be traced back to two sources. The first source is that, that our obstacles are our fault, right? They're my fault. They're your fault. They're the consequences of the choices that we make in our lives. Uh, most of us call these consequences college, right? It's an expensive four years. Some of us are, are paying the loans. Some of us are still paying for the choices that we made all the way back then. The second source of, of, of obstacles in our lives come from the things that are completely outside of our control. They're the consequences of choices that other people make that affect us. Maybe your parents separated and then got divorced. You didn't choose that. You didn't want that for your family, but that's what happened. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a loved one, a sibling. Maybe it's a really close friend. And it doesn't matter what they're addicted to, whether it's drugs or alcohol or pornography or gambling, right? At some point, their life seems to kind of crash and fall apart. At some point, there's a desperation. There's a, a need for help. There's, I've got to rebuild. I need you to help. Can you cover this for me? Can you step into my life? And the consequences of their choices impact you. It becomes an obstacle in your life. Maybe it's abuse, verbal or physical, sexual. You didn't do anything wrong. You didn't do anything to ever deserve what was done to you. But it's an obstacle that you face on a consistent basis. It always seems to be there. In this category are also a bunch of things that are completely outside of anybody's control. They're not choices from anyone. Things like natural disasters or illnesses or, or disabilities. You see, obstacles are, are kind of like a lifeguard at a pool. There's a reason why lifeguards don't stand in the pool, right? Logic would say that if the lifeguard was in the pool, he's actually closer to the people that he's trying to save. But the problem with that is that they can only see the immediate area around them. They can't see the entire pool. And so a lifeguard will sit outside of the pool where they have a bigger perspective, where they can see the entire thing clearly. When we face obstacles in our lives, we can't see the big picture. It's kind of like we're right there in the pool. We can't see clearly. We, we don't have the answers. We don't have the big picture perspective of what God's trying to do all around us and in our lives. And it leaves us with a couple of questions that I think every single one of us face when we face obstacles. The first is this, what's the point? 
Maybe your question is phrased a little differently. Maybe it comes out as, why God? Or why now, God? Or maybe even why them? Of all of the people, God, they don't deserve it. Maybe it comes out as, why do I have to go through these things? Or, or why can't I get the answers that I'm desperately seeking? The second question that comes out when we face obstacles is this, is what do I do? What do I do with the, the scars that I have? What do I do with the disappointments? What do I do with the, the regrets, with the fears, with the hurt and the pain? What are my options? Where do I go from here? What are my next steps to work through or around or with this obstacle that's now in my life? See, as we continue to look at the story of David, I, I think there's part of his story that's going to help us answer these two questions. Because when we look at David's story, it's kind of like the lifeguard outside of the pool. We can look at his story from the big perspective. And we can learn from him to help answer the questions, what is the point and what do I do when I face obstacles in my life. So if you have your Bible, I would love for you to turn with me to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 18. That's what we're going to pick up today. And if you don't have a Bible with you, that's totally cool. You can uh, follow along in the notes in the app, or you can uh, read it on the side screens as well. Let me just set it up uh, as some of you are, are turning there. Um, Saul is the king of Israel, and this story takes place at around 1000 BC. So it's somewhere around 3000 years ago. Um, Saul has turned his back on God. And so God has chosen David to become the future king. And as Mike talked about last week in a, in a powerful, powerful message, um, David kills Goliath and instantly has become this national hero, right? It's, it's the perfect underdog story. Um, Kurt Warner bagging groceries to becoming the Super Bowl champion and MVP, right? It's just this classic, classic story. And so we're going to pick it up in the next chapter. 1 Samuel chapter 18, beginning at verse 1, says this. After David had finished talking with Saul... Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. Let me just stop there for a second. So Saul decides to keep David with him in his palace after he defeats Goliath, a very smart move. He gives him a, a high rank in his army. The, the officers and, and the troops love David because everything that David does, he is incredibly successful at. And then we see Jonathan is introduced into this story as well. Jonathan is Saul's son. He's the next in line. But we see that he offers him his robe and his weapons and, and all of his stuff. And it's symbolic of two things. First is Jonathan's commitment to David as, as friends. Right? As the kids would call it, they're, they're, they're BFFs. Jonathan and David have become best friends. They have this incredible strong bond of, of loyalty and commitment to each other. More than just a, hey, why don't you come over and help fix my truck or let's watch the game together kind of friendship. This is a, a I got your back no matter what you face kind of friendship. But scholars believe that there was a, a political statement that was happening in this story too. That, that Jonathan is Saul's son, right? He's the prince. He is next in line to the throne. And when he gives David his robe and his weapons, he's making a very symbolic statement. He's saying, David, I recognize God's calling in your life. I recognize that you're next, not me. God wants you to be the king. Even though I'm in line for it, I am surrendering willingly all of this 
to you. This is an incredibly close friendship. Let's pick it up in, in verse 6. It says this, When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They've credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. See, everything is going David's way. Everything David touched turns to gold. And then, uh-oh, right? Here it is. Jealousy begins to start creeping in. And you've seen enough movies to know this is going to go in one of two directions. Either Saul is going to die a, a tragic death and David will rise up to save the day from the enemy, or jealousy is going to creep into Saul's life and eventually he is going to become the enemy in the story. Verse 10, the next day an evil or harmful spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre, as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but it departed from Saul. Now, some of you are going, whoa, 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 hold on, Donnie. Hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> what does this mean, that God gave him an evil spirit? You have to know, this is mentioned a, a couple times in a couple of previous chapters, and, and I don't want us to get sidetracked here, but I, I don't want to ignore it and, and leave anybody stuck in this place as well. You see, the authors of the Old Testament, when they would write, they believed, as we do, that God is sovereign and ultimately He is in control of everything. And so they had no problem with writing things this way. But because of this, they also didn't feel like they needed to fill in all the gaps. So let's fill in a couple of the gaps. If you were to go back a couple chapters in chapter 15, and we don't have time to read it all today, you can read that on your own. But if you were to go back there, you would begin to see that Saul begins rebelling against God. He turns his back on God. He refuses to repent. He doesn't regret any of his actions. He chose not to come back in his relationship with God. And because of the lack of change in Saul's heart, it caused God to remove his spirit from helping Saul. You see, God didn't abandon Saul, but Saul turned his back on God. God is sovereign. There's nothing that happens that he doesn't know about or allow, and that's very different than cause. You see, God allows things in our lives for multiple reasons. One is to get our attention. Another is to help us recognize our need for him so that we will turn our lives back to him. A third is to grow us. A fourth is ultimately to give God glory. And so here's the deal. God didn't cause him to do evil. He simply responded to Saul, who had already turned his back on God. And I believe that what God's intention was, was for Saul to, to see what he was missing, what was broken in his relationship with God, and that he would turn his life back to him. And here's what I want you to know today that no matter where you are, no matter how far you have drifted away, no matter how far you've gone in your mind or your opinion, it's never too late. That God loves you. He wants you to know that He is still there. He's active in your life. He wants to forgive you, and He wants to fix the relationship that He has with you, if you're willing to let Him. Now, verse 11, I love this, right? Because this is where it gets crazy. 
Saul starts throwing spears at David. And I wish the Bible sometimes would give us more detail and tell us how things went down because I don't understand this at all, right? Saul throws that first spear, throws it at David. What does he do? Oh, hey, uh, hey, sorry about that. My bad, my bad. Hey, can you just pass that spear back to me? Thank you so much, David. I really appreciate it. Throws it again, right? Oops, it slipped, right? I didn't mean for that to happen. I'm so sorry about that, David. Like, like, what is going on here? Are the rest of Saul's guys, like in the palace, are gathering around? They're collecting all the spears, right? They're like, Saul's having a bad day. We got to hide the spears, right? Like, what is, what's going on? And I love that it says that twice David eluded him, but it doesn't tell us how. I don't know if it's like a, a sci-fi movie, like the first time he's playing his guitar and kind of like Matrix, he just kind of like bends out of the way as the first spear goes by. And maybe that second one is Saul throws it at him. He catches it with chopsticks like right before it hits him. Like, I, I don't know what's going on, but I wish I knew the details. It's crazy. The unfortunate part for David is it's not done. It's just the beginning. Let's pick up in, in verse 13. It says this. So he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men, and David led the troops in their campaigns. In everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. Verse 20. Now Saul's daughter Michal was in love with David. And when they told Saul about it, he was pleased. I will give her to him, he thought, so that she may be a snare to him and so that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. See, Saul's offering his daughter in marriage to David, but there's a catch. Here's what it is in verse 25. Saul said, say to David, the king wants no other price for the bride than a hundred Philistine foreskins to take revenge on his enemies. Saul's plan was to have David fall by the hand of the Philistines. When the attendants told David these things, he was pleased to become the king's son-in-law. So before the allotted time elapsed, David took his men with him and went out and killed 200 Philistines and brought back their foreskins. They counted out the full number to the king so that David might become the king's son-in-law. And then Saul gave him his daughter Michal in marriage. Now, you know I need to stop here for a minute because the first thing is, ouch, right? <laughs> Second is the next time you think your job is terrible, just be glad you're not in the accounting office of the king, right? We're, like, uh, we're, we're just going to take your word on that one. I'm not, I'm not counting. And the third thing is this, how amazing is this woman, right? I mean, I thought it was a big deal for me to have to ask for my wife's hand in marriage from my father-in-law. That's love right there for what David went through to marry this woman. You got to read your Bibles, guys, because there is crazy, crazy stuff in there. It is not boring, I promise you. It may already be too late, but let's read on before I say something I, uh, I, I regret later. So um, let's pick it up in verse 28. It says, when Saul realized that David was, or that the Lord was with David, and his daughter Michal loved David, Saul became still more afraid of him, and he remained his enemy the rest of his days. The Philistine commanders continued to go out to battle, and as often as they did, David met with more success than the rest of Saul's officers, and his name became well known. Saul told his son Jonathan that all the attendants and all the attendants to kill David, but Jonathan had taken a great liking to David and warned him. Chapter 19, verse 8, says, Once more war broke out, and David went out to fight and fought the Philistines. He struck them with such force that they fled before him. But an evil spirit from the Lord came on Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand. While David was playing the lyre, Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear, but David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. That night, David made good his escape. 
Saul sent men to David's house to watch it and to kill him in the morning. But Michal, David's wife, warned him, if you don't run for your life tonight, tomorrow you'll be killed. So Michal let David down through a window and he fled and escaped. Then Michal took an idol and laid it on the bed, covering it with a garment and putting some goat's hair at the head. When Saul sent men to capture David, Michal said, he is ill. Then Saul sent the men back to see David and told them, bring him up to me in his bed so that I may kill him. But when the men entered, there was the idol in the bed with the head, at the head was some goat's hair. Saul said to Michal, why did you deceive me like this? And send my enemy away so that he escaped. And Michal told him, he said to me, let me get away. Why should I kill you? When David had fled and made his escape, he went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And then he and Samuel went on to Naoth and stayed there. So here's the recap real quick. Saul is king, but because of his disobedience, God has rejected him. But he didn't smite him on the spot. He's still alive, and so he's still the, the physical king without God's blessing. David has been chosen by God to become the next king. We're just waiting for God's timing on when that's going to happen. Jonathan, Saul's son, the next in line to be king, willingly surrenders his position and his title as, as king to his best friend David, and then Saul turns to the dark side. And by my count, he attempts to kill David five different times. He throws three spears at him. He tries to get him killed in battle for his wife. And then finally he tries to kill him himself. And David's got to be sitting there scratching his head. Going, God, I, I was so cool just hanging out with sheep. Right? You called me to this, remember? I didn't ask for this. I was faithful and I killed Goliath. And, and I've had a, a bunch of other victories. I trusted you, God. Things were going really, really well in my life. And now the king is chucking spears at my head. This is a great plan, God. I love what you're doing. What do we do with that? Because some of us may have thought that, that by following Jesus, life was supposed to get easier. Life was supposed to get better. I remember when I was in high school, I did. I thought, man, if I start following Jesus, that my acne would clear up and I'd be able to start talking to girls. <laughs> Neither of those things happened. I just had Jesus plus acne and still no girlfriend, right? Here's three truths. We all face obstacles in life. The second is that adding Jesus doesn't make life perfect. You can be close to God. You can have all kinds of success at, at home with your family or at work or school, but you're still going to face obstacles in life. And the third is this. Although you don't get to choose the obstacles you face, you do get to choose how you respond. See, here's my observation from this story. Obstacles are opportunities for us to either give up or to grow up. You see, Saul gave up. He turned his back on God. He gave up on the opportunities that God gave him. He didn't recognize his sin. He wasn't willing to repent. He wasn't willing to turn his life back to God. And instead of repenting, he ran away towards jealousy and fear and anger. See, God never stops chasing us. But at the same time, God will never force us to do things either. And instead of celebrating what God was doing next, he decides to chuck spears. But David, David, when he faced obstacles, he saw it as an opportunity to grow up. See, when we read 1 Samuel, the way that it's written, it shows everyone's emotions in this story except for David's. David's emotions aren't shown. But what we happen to have is a book called Psalms, and David wrote many of them, and they overlap in the same time period. And when we read Psalms, we can see that David had a lot of emotions. He was constantly crying out to God. He didn't like his situation at all. 
but he chose to accept it because he trusted that God was in control and that God was working behind the scenes. And so David grew. He grew in his faith. He grew in his character. He grew in his influence over others because obstacles are an opportunity for us to either give up or to grow up. So let's answer those two questions that we asked earlier. First question is this, what, what is the point to obstacles? Here's the answer. Obstacles are opportunities for God to reveal and to grow our character. See, God's desire, and I hope ours is too, is that we will grow up. And so God tests us. We need to accept that. Why does he test us? Because he loves us. He wants us to learn to trust him more. He wants us to learn to be dependent on him. And so he gives us the freedom to choose. And with, with the freedom to choose comes consequences. And he allows us to go through those consequences. Consequences from our choices, consequences from the choices of others. Not because he wants to, us to have a hard time. Not because he wants our lives to be difficult, but because he wants us to learn. He wants us to choose wisely. He wants us to trust him. He wants us to learn how to forgive. He wants us to grow to become more and more like Jesus. That's love. And so God tests us. He tests our faith by allowing problems in our lives. He tests our loyalty by how we handle our possessions. He tests our love by giving us people in our lives that are sometimes difficult to love. You see, all of life is a test. With the opportunity for us to choose and with the hope of growth in our lives. Paul in 2 Corinthians 1 wrote this. He said, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. See, when you understand that life is a test, you recognize and realize that nothing is insignificant in your life. Even the smallest obstacles are opportunities for your character to be developed. Every day is important. Every second is an opportunity for your character to grow. And the good news is this, is that God wants you to pass all of the tests. You see, it's easy when we're outside of the obstacle to be able to look back and see what God was doing all along. As we look back at our immigration story, when we got there and we were told that it was going to take between five, month, or five weeks and, and five months, we were so discouraged. We didn't understand why God was delaying us from doing what we were sure he was calling us to do. But a few days after, we were at the border presenting all of our files to the immigration people. My dad was in an accident, and he suffered a massive head injury, and a few days later, he passed away. Hundreds of you sent cards to us in Canada. We had never even met you, but you sent us cards to support us. And in hindsight now, looking back, I recognize that the delay that we were so frustrated by turned out to be an incredible gift from God. You see, it took us the full five months before we heard an answer. Five months where we got to spend time with our family, where we got to grieve together, and we got to work together through the most difficult thing that I have ever experienced in my life. See, it's okay to not like the obstacles. And it's okay to not understand 
the obstacles. Jesus never promised that we wouldn't have storms. What he promised is that he would be with us in the storms. And so don't give up on God. Don't walk away. Don't let your heart become hardened. And if that describes you today, please know this. It's not too late. God loves you and he wants to heal you and help you. But that doesn't mean that you're not going to face obstacles again. You see, what is the point is the wrong question. A better question is this. God, how do you want me to grow through this obstacle? And here's the second question. So what do I do? And the answer is this. Obstacles are opportunities for us to help others. You see, when we come through an obstacle, whatever size and whatever scars we have collected through it, God wants to use you. He wants to use me to help out others who are going through the very thing that we have already experienced. And maybe we're not all the way through it ourselves yet. Maybe we're just a little farther down the road than they are. And see, Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 as well. He said, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves receive from God. See, God never wastes a hurt. Your experiences, including the ones that you regret, the ones that you want to hide from others, the ones that you want to forget about yourself, are the very things that God wants to use in your life to help out somebody else. See, they're part of your story. And in some ways, maybe one of the most important parts of your story. Once you've been through something, once you've dealt with it and you're healthy or you're at least getting healthy, God wants to use you to support, encourage, come alongside someone else. See, here's my question for you. What will you do with what you've been through? And here's how you know what stage you're at. If you hear this and God's brought an obstacle to mind, maybe it's something you're going through right now or something you've already been through, and you're thinking to yourself, Donia, I'm not ready to share this with anybody else yet. That's okay. That's all right. It means that you're still in the growth phase, and that's a great thing. That God wants to grow your faith. He wants to grow your character. He wants to develop your dependence on him. And so stay there as long as you need to be there. Continue to wrestle with God and continue to grow as he develops and shapes your character. But if you hear this and an obstacle comes to mind that you have been through or maybe that you're going through right now and you're thinking to yourself, man, I need to share my story. I, I, I want to use what I've been through to come alongside and help someone else out. Then let me say this to you. Congratulations. Because right around the corner is the potential for you in a powerful, powerful way to be used by God to impact and change the life of somebody else. See, God wants to use that in your life. And you're going to get a chance to talk about it this week in your small group. Maybe you need to book an appointment with one of the pastors or a ministry leader and talk to them about what it is that you've been through. But here's what I know is true. Obstacles are opportunities for us to either give up or to grow up. Imagine what this could look like in our families, in our church, and then the impact that we could have in our community if we began to live this way. If instead of asking the question, why me, we began to ask, God, how do you want me to grow? And instead of trying to hide our scars from other people, imagine if we shared them and helped out other people who are going through the things that we've already been through. We have a creative way for you to do that. At each campus, we've designated a place for you to share your story during this series. We've created these cards, and there's tables out in the lobby, and there's pens, 
And we would love for you over these next couple weeks to take a few minutes and maybe just write down part of your story. There's a spot at the top where you can write your name, and if you don't feel comfortable doing that, that's okay. You don't have to. You can title your story, and you'll see that there's four boxes there that represent the four parts of, of this series. Last week, Mike started talking about beginnings, and maybe you want to write part of your story from childhood. Maybe it's part of the beginning of your faith in Jesus. Whatever it is, you can write that down and you can check that beginnings box. Maybe it's from today. Maybe there's an obstacle in your life that you've been working through or that you've gone through and you want to share part of that story. Then you write that down and check that down. Check that off. Next week, Mike's going to talk about hope, how we find hope in the midst of the obstacles and the things that we deal with. And then we're going to talk about dreaming about your future. And maybe you want to write about part of that. Maybe you want to write about each section. It's totally up to you. But these cards are out there. They're to the right, and then there's a wood wall that we've put up. And what we would love for you to do is, once you've maybe written down part of your story, is you would take it, there's hammers and nails there, and you just hammer it to the wall. It could be an incredibly powerful thing for you to work through some of the things that God is doing in your life. It can be an incredibly powerful thing that God may use in the life of someone else as they walk by and read your story. I read this quote a couple weeks ago, and I thought, man, what a powerful way to finish this. When we deny our stories, they define us. But when we own our stories, we get to write the ending. You see, your obstacles don't define you. Your failures don't define you. The consequences of other people's choices in your life, those things don't define you unless you allow them to. You have the opportunity for God to use the obstacles in your life to grow you up and to use them to impact the life of somebody else. You have the opportunity. I have the opportunity to write the end of our story. What an incredible gift that God has given to us. Next week, Mike is going to share and, and show us how do we find hope in all of this. We're going to discover that Saul dies and David finally becomes king, but the obstacles don't disappear for David. They just are different obstacles. And in the midst of that, he discovers hope. And Mike is going to show us through David's discovery of hope how we can discover hope in our lives and in our story as well. Let's pray. God, I thank you. This may be a weird thing to pray for, but Father, I thank you for obstacles in my life. God, I don't like being in the middle of those obstacles. I, I don't like not knowing what the outcome is going to be. I don't like feeling uncomfortable. I don't like the uncertainties. Father, I don't like the pain. But Father, every time that I look back at the obstacles that I've faced in my life, God, one thing I know is true is that you've always been there with me. And that, God, the times when I have looked to you and surrendered to you, you have come alongside and you have shaped my character. You've chiseled away things in my heart that didn't need to be there. Father, you've formed me more and more like your son. And I've got a long way to go, which means I know there's going to be a lot more obstacles in my life. But, God, I thank you for those things. I thank you that you love me enough that you want to journey with me and help me to grow and become more like you. God, I pray that you use my obstacles to help others. And Father, I pray that for all of us, that we will have the courage to recognize that when we face obstacles, that God, it's an opportunity for you to grow us. And it's an opportunity for us to come alongside and help and encourage and impact the life of somebody else. And so God, help us to not be afraid of the scars and the disappointments and the, the failures, but Father, help us to embrace those things and use them in our lives as a ministry into the lives of others. Jesus, we love you and we thank you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.